Welcome to Off Message. I'm Isaac Dover. Do you think that you have an honest broker? Honestly, some days I'm not sure what we're dealing with. We're obviously dealing on multifaceted fronts. We're dealing with administration, we're dealing with Congress, and we always want to be transparent and, and, and be honest. That's all we can do. And if, in fact, we're able to move the ball downfield together, we will. If we're able to build consensus together and work on some things, we will. And if we disagree, then we'll fight. I mean, I mean, and, that, but and that's. But do you think you have an honest broker in President Trump? Um, I'm willing to work with the president on anything. Uh, and um, he, <laughs> That's he's, not a he's, yes. He's the, president United, he's, he's the president of the United States of America. Today's guest, Steve Benjamin, the three-term mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, and since last week, the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, a group of mayors of cities big and small across the country, both Republicans and Democrats, which has become one of the most reliable points of opposition for President Trump and the Republican-led Congress. They've been on the other side of Obamacare repeal, on infrastructure spending, the state and local tax exemption disappearing as part of the tax bill passed in December, adding a citizenship question to the census on the president's proposal last week to cut $15 billion from social safety net programs. It's a move that came together just after we did this interview in which Benjamin, in a statement he put out, called disastrous. Last year, when I sat down with former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Lanter, right after he became the last president of the Conference of Mayors, it's a one-year term, He was adamant about fighting with the president, but diplomatic and hopeful about where things could go. That's an episode worth going back into the archives to check out if you haven't heard it for a while, especially with the talk bubbling about how he might maybe be fitting into the 2020 presidential race, which I've done some reporting on too. Benjamin is more diplomatic and careful in how he talks about Trump, but his position a year later is inherently more adversarial. Check out the article I have on the Politico website about this interview and conversations I had with other mayors trying to make sense of what's basically become a deeper and deeper war between cities and non-cities and where that leaves a lot of mayors around the country. It's worth a read. And just to think about what we're talking about here, 80.7% of Americans lived in urban areas according to the last census, and that number is going up. It was 79% in the 2000 census. So when we're talking about government funding for education and transportation and infrastructure and economic development and security, that's what we're talking about. And that's what I sat down to talk with Benjamin about at the Smart Cities Conference last week in New York, which Politico is a sponsor of. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Coming up, billionaire impeachment activist Tom Steyer and former president Jimmy Carter. That's right. Our first former president here on the podcast talking faith and politics and much more. And remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts or however you're listening. Email me your thoughts and suggestions at isaacpolitico.com and follow me on Twitter at Isaac Dover. And now, my conversation with Steve Benjamin. My favorite fact about you politically that I came up with uh, is that you're giving me such a strange look. Yeah, yeah. Is that you were up for re-election last year and they canceled the election because nobody ran against you. I've never by, heard of by, that before. by act of state statute. Actually, we hadn't heard of it either uh, <laughs> prior, prior to the the filing period. If you file for re-election and you're uncontested, and within a period of time, maybe thirty days, if no one indicates uh, an intention to run as a run-in. And they, de- they deem it's not necessary to have an election. You're automatically reelected. It is indeed the most undemocratic thing you could ever think of. But, is, but I mean, if but, nobody's going to run against you on the one yeah, hand, yeah. elections oh, no, oh, cost money. You, now, mind you, I'm not complaining. No, we, we still had an election. We still had other people to elect at the that, same time. I, okay. How do you pull that off? I mean, it's you're the mayor of a not small city. Yeah. We, we How many people in Columbia? Uh, probably 150,000. We think if, and, we, if and, we have a great census, and, and, be 150,000. Uh, and in 150,000, there wasn't one person who had had enough trouble with you to I, run for mayor? I hope and pray that that most citizens that would have made 
incredible candidates, and I will tell you, we have a lot of really solid mm-hmm. people. I, I believe could be great policymakers and, and could also be great mayor in our city. Felt strongly that we were working for them and working hard for them every single day. When I ran in 2010, uh, I ran in the theme of being one Columbia, and and that meant that that we were going to work hard to help Columbia meet her potential. Um, my my local reporters laugh at me because they'll they'll ask me a question and I'll tell them the same answer. Our goal is to be the most talented, educated, entrepreneurial city in in America. Uh, the only way we could do that, that we could literally punch above our weight as a mid mid-sized southern city, was if we were all working together. And uh, I endeavored back then to, to hire consultants. My consultants, I, I hired the. Uh, um, the, the person who ran the field operation for Obama in 08 and the folks who managed the McCain campaign, um, in, in, in 08. And Democrats, Republicans. Yeah. And it, it was, it was, in, and we were nonpartisan in, in Columbia, but it was, but it was, it was, it was meant to be a very clear statement that, that we were in this together. But you're a Democrat, right? You're a proud Democrat. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am. Mm-hmm. That, that there wasn't a Republican in the entire city who would, I mean, uh, I, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, and I'm not sure if it's Southern. I'm not sure if it's because of my business background or, or my, my background as a, uh, as a public finance professional, so as a bond lawyer. We finished five of the last seven years with a budget surplus in Columbia. Uh, we rebuilt our reserves in, uh, to pre-recession levels and grown them by 100%. We've gotten the Government Finance Officers Association Award of Excellence four years in a row. We've been upgraded by Standing the Poor's and Moody's twice. We created an environment where private sector capital feels welcome. We treat it well, and it chooses to grow. And we use that leverage uh, of that new investment to meet our public sector needs. So, uh, so I say that to say that um, usually in South Carolina, most most Republicans tend to tend to be fiscal conservatives yeah. or, or, or and, and pro business. We've proven that you can be fiscally conservative and socially progressive, and do it in a way that again speaks to the needs of every family. And as a result, yeah, we enjoy broad support. You're describing a rational process by which people make political decisions, <laughs> right? Which is not always the way things go. Our poll numbers were, were really strong. <laughs> They're really strong. I mean, in the South, historically, people often look at um, politics along racial lines. In particular, mm-hmm. uh, we enjoyed. Strong majority support with black citizens and white citizens. Why do you think that is? Because you see that division happening. It's not anything new, although it's in some ways been exacerbated in, in ways elsewhere in politics. Because I believe that we speak to people's humanity. I do believe that you speak to the better angels of people's nature when you start uh, helping people rally around the issues that all families support, whether, whether you're Muslim or Jew, if your family's been here since before the Mayflower or just got here, that if you speak to the things that unify us, people appreciate that, even when they disagree with you. Yeah, but uh, I'll give you a, mm-hmm. t- sure. the example that comes to mind right now is your immediate predecessor in this job, Mitch Landrew, not as mayor of Columbia, but as uh, head of the conference. He's, he's the mayor. He was the mayor of uh, another southern city. He's white. You're black. Both had mixed constituencies. And even when he did that move to take down the Confederate monuments, that was something that got him in trouble with a lot of white voters uh, in New Orleans. And uh, there were some uh, black uh, constituents who said, oh, he was co-opting a black idea and, and sort of weren't, weren't giving him credit on this thing that nationally he was just gushed over. Mm-hmm. On, even on that, there was a division. And he left office, pretty popular guy, but not, I don't think if he had run for another term, he would have been unopposed. So, uh, our, um, 
In our city, yeah. Um, uh, actually, starting, we, we kicked off something that we uh, that really uh, got steam in 2013, the 50th anniversary of, of 1963, mm-hmm. all the watershed events that happened in American civil rights. Uh, we launched an initiative called Our Story Matters, in which we sought to add mm-hmm. uh, to the dialogue to 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 begin to shape the narrative that showed uh, the historic contributions of African Americans to the quality of life and the history of of, of, of South Carolina. That expanded from a, a one-year effort that continues now. We, we've, we've spent millions of dollars on it. It's told the story of, of, of African Americans, of our, of, our, of our Jewish community, of the role that, that, that youth and, and women mm-hmm. have played. And being a, an elected official in the American South and the incredible challenges that, that aren't uniquely Southern, but just America, America, the original sins of our, of our, of our country, Native American genocide or, or um, enslavement of, of, of Africans, disenfranchisement of women, the, the reality that, that even uh, poor white citizens uh, mm-hmm. were, were, were treated poorly over the first, first several centuries. So our challenge, and I think we saw the opportunity before us, was to tell the entire story as, as opposed to fighting the culture wars uh, necessarily. And, and quite frankly, I, I still don't know. They have so many statues in so many different places. You'd think we have more statues in Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia was, was the home of the very first secession convention. Um, but we don't have that many statues. Um, but we did, we did have, uh, you know, we had the, we had the battle flag mm-hmm. that, that flew at the state capitol above the dome and then on the grounds for many years. I was going to ask you about the flag later on, but since you brought it up, I'll ask you now. I think the first time that we ever spoke, I don't know if you remember, this was in San Francisco in the Conference of Mayors meeting in 2015. Um, uh, in June, and it was right after there had been the shooting in Charleston, and the debate about the flag was going on. We didn't know what was going to happen, what the final decision was going to be. In the end, it was taken down. And I said, what do you think? And the thing that you pointed to was that there was this question of the flags at half-mast in mourning, and you didn't think that the flag, the Confederate flag that was flying at the Capitol should be at half-mast, because he said it shouldn't be there at all, right? I'm going to read you what you said to me then. Please. He said, we, we have an oftentimes debilitating capacity as Americans to think that they're simple answers to complex problems. The flag needs to come down, but we need to have greater discussions around guns. We need to talk more about civility in the ways our elected officials and citizens discourse with each other. We need to talk more about education and mental health. You seem to still agree with that. Oh, absolutely. It's been three years. Have we done that? Uh, as a nation or yeah. as, a, as a city? As a city, we have. Um, <laughs> as a know, nation, just, no. As a, city, uh, as a nation, no. And, and, uh, and obviously, we have a lot of, a lot of work to do. Um, that the federal level right now, Isaac, uh, uh, two, three weeks after uh, those comments, you, you may remember, uh, for some reason, our, our state house committee uh, awarded protest uh, permits to the Ku Klux Klan of Western North Carolina and the new Black Panther Party of North Florida to protest on the same day at the state capitol. And I'm not sure who thought that was a good idea. <laughs> we determined monitoring social media that, that this was, this was, uh, this could turn out to be Charlottesville, uh, uh two years, um, early mm-hmm. and decided that we needed to act. Uh, we passed an, an ordinance, uh, that was thoughtful. It was unanimous at our, at our, at our city council that prohibited guns. And the perimeter around our state capitol, anyone who crossed that threshold, and we enforced it, and, and were able to diffuse what we thought could have been a very hostile situation. Thoughtful people rallied around us and mm-hmm. said, "You guys are doing the right thing." And I, I just believe that if you if you leave with your head and leave with your heart, you make good 
informed positions that, that again speak to people's humanity and speak to people who are who are at center, right of center, left of center. I think you get the vast majority of Americans who will support the decisions that you that you that you want to make. Uh, that flag that, that stood um, uh, it was the reason I got involved in, in politics in the first place. Uh, when I was a student at the University of South Carolina, it still flew over the dome of our capital mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sovereign position beneath the state flag and, and the U.S. flag. I was marching as a 17-year-old as the political action uh, committee chair of the, of the NACP at USC. By the end of my first year, I was president of the chapter. And uh, and then pretty fast on, movement. Hi, right, man. Uh, <laughs> it was work to be done. Uh, we grew it to the largest. It was the largest college chapter in the country at, at the time. And, and we were um, we were we were we were eager uh, to to get some things done to change the the, the, the flag. The, the was, I mean, oh, absolutely. I, it was, it was, I, the question and I was in. I remember I was in Columbia in I think August of that year, and I walked over to the state capitol. And what struck me is that already by then I couldn't even see where the flagpole was. After it had been taken down, they'd done the grass pretty well. But I think the question was, what difference is it actually going to make for it to be gone? And now it's been gone. You were so you saw it sort of move from the dome to then a flagpole on the grounds, pretty prominent place on the grounds, mm-hmm. and then gone. Has it actually? made racial divisions smaller? I think it's significantly changed not just external perceptions of South Carolina. I mean, South Carolina boasts uh, the greatest amount uh, per capita FDI, uh, of European FDI of any state in the country. FDI? Foreign direct investment. Okay. Um, primarily from Germany and, and, and France and Italy and, and, and China and Japan. But we are, we're a place that, that has been a wonderful magnet for, for, for business and, and, and investment. But for years, uh, people's views of us have been somewhat skewed uh, because of that flag that, that flew in the heart of my city, but was controlled by, by the state capitol. Um, it led to an, an economic boycott mm-hmm. of, of our state that kept March Madness from Columbia for years. Now, next year, we're going to host the NCAA. But that's all about how it mattered to the outside people coming in. What did it do to the way that uh, white people were relating to black people and black people were relating to white people? Well, I think is I think I think to our uh, I mean, like the, is there is there my, a tangible difference in the three years since the flag went down? Um, you know, every uh, candidate, every politician, when you're first running for office or even every campaign, you know, there are a couple of lines that you say during a campaign speech that just perk people up. Mm-hmm. Start, start. It's the applause line. And I remember my first campaign, 20, 20, 2009, uh, 2010, uh, talked about building a city uh, where we would not have uh, this brain drain. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't lose our talent. Our, 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 our children wouldn't have to leave to go to New York or Washington, D.C. or Atlanta to live up to the God-given potential, that we'd build that city right here, right now. The, that flag, um, in many respects, um, um, served as, as, a, as, a, as a center of hostility mm-hmm. in our community that we didn't control. Yeah. And, 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 and moving that flag did signal to a, 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 a significant number of millennials, mm-hmm. as well as what I begin to call perennials, uh, uh, the people who, who, are, who, are, who are repatriating South Carolina, coming from other parts of the, of the, of the, of the country around the world, indeed, uh, that, that, that this place is, is not hostile to you, uh, mm-hmm. but, 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 but welcoming. It, make, it makes a big difference. I mean, I mean symbols Your matter. parents left. They did. And they came here to New York. You were born in Queens. Indeed. Yeah. And you lived in New York 
growing up? I, I, I left here after I finished high school. Yeah. By the grace so you're of God. New Yorker. Thank you, Lottie. I, I finished <laughs> high school. I, I uh, was born and raised in, 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 in South, Southeast Queens. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they left and you decided you're going to go back to South Carolina. Yeah. Did they tell you you were crazy? Oh, no, 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 no. My, <laughs> my brother and I both went back to school down south and we were sent there. You know, um, um, African-Americans, uh, I think over 65 percent of African-Americans uh, can trace their roots back to Gadsden's Wharf in Charleston, mm-hmm. South Carolina. You know, it, it was it was the primary entry point. Um, for enslaved Africans uh, coming into the country and migratory patterns over the Great Migration. Um, we saw families from South Carolina migrate up to New York and New Jersey. And um, and then, uh, I dare say, if you look at migratory patterns of the last 20 years, uh, with with the entire um, uh, change in, in, in tone and tenor of government and, and, and policy, you've seen a lot of families mm-hmm. um, um, head from the north to the south, heading to the Sun Belt. Are um, your parents still alive? Oh yeah, they, my parents. And where my are parents, they? My parents moved to Columbia uh, about 14 years ago. So, so they, before so you ran? Yeah, uh, my my children my children have the benefit of having both sets of grandparents uh, who have been collectively married for 97 years uh, at their disposal. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a great situation and allows me and my wife to do the things we do. And so you go back and you start getting involved, like you said, the, the NAACP. That's your pathway into all of this. Yeah, I became student government president and then student bar president <laughs> and started working on campaigns and, and hadn't been able to shake the bug since. And did, did you think of yourself as somebody who learned anything from New York politics? It's a pretty crazy place, yeah. especially this week. We're seeing like another crazy story in New York politics. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much you learn from New York politics. <laughs> I'm a former I, New York politics yeah, reporter, yeah, so I'm I, not sure how much you learn from New York politics either. So you are now the president of the Conference of Mayors as yeah. of this week. Uh, oh. I think this is an organization that I have spent a lot of time uh, reporting on, going to events at, and even still there are times where I think like, okay, like this is nice that all the mayors get together, but like what's the point of it? So what's the point of it? Well, the point of it is that since 1932, um, regardless of who's been in the White House and how effective they've been or how friendly they've been, America's mayors have continued to, to work to to build uh, this this this. Um, uh, this American dream, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of what's happening in Washington, and sometimes it, it can leave us all scratching our heads, or even happening in our state capitals. Uh, every day, uh, Democrats, Republicans, independent mayors are at the centers of some incredible metropolitan economies. Now, yeah. you know, 85% of all of our citizens live in, in cities and metropolitan economies. 91% of America's $20 trillion GDP is created at the heart of these metropolitan economies. So having a, a, a system and organization where colleagues can work side by side in advancing the interests of, of our cities, sharing best practices, but also advocating uh, for the things that make America hopefully still the, the, the strongest and most powerful and wealthiest democratic nation in the history of the world. That comes with, with real work. A city can't be gerrymandered. A city mm-hmm. is a natural body that grows and, and, and changes over, over time and requires us to have elected officials uh, that are, are responsive to the needs and, and, and uh, mm-hmm. of the minority as, as well as executing the will of the majority. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's so much more important to be um, a mayor in 21st century America and so important for the U.S. Conference of Mayors to be here advocating for these issues. You're, Mitch Landrieu, who said was your immediate predecessor, uh, he came on essentially as Donald Trump was coming in as president. Uh, and he did a lot to turn the organization into a real, uh, not 
for the sake of it, oppositional force, but uh, a player in opposing a lot of the things that are going on uh, out of the, the Trump administration. Um, do you see that as a, a necessary part of this because of the priorities that you have, because of the priorities that cities have and, and where the priorities of the administration are? Well, I see the um, role of the mayors and the U.S. Conference of Mayors, yes, to always stand up and speak on behalf of, what, of what's right mm -hmm. and what's good and the things that bring us together. Absolutely. And and when uh, we see anyone working um, uh, to the destruction of, the, of those uh those those things and yeah we've got to speak up and and, and that and that's not that's not being an opposition party that's just fighting for what's right and um, we I mean we, we you're fight. opposing them uh, oh absolutely oh absolutely um, but we 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 fight for infrastructure and if there's opportunity to work together we work we work together we're fighting uh, you know for to make America uh, more innovative and making sure we don't lose. Um, uh, step with the rest of the of the world, and we'll fight for that. But yeah, uh, we we spent a lot of time last year with um, the president's staff, with uh, the attorney general, with with Secretary Kelly when he was at DHS, um, really making sure that the um, uh, that the promise of America that that we would indeed be a a, a, a country that speaks to the values are etched um, uh, by Emma Lazarus into, into the Statue of Liberty that. That go to the core of who reference. we. Uh, oh yeah, uh, go to the core <laughs> of who we are. Yeah, our, our city, uh, as you may know, dates back to March 17, 1786. I, I mentioned it in my in my, in my you, speech you, earlier. You like this that, week. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because 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 I, I think I think that the the words of Senator Gervais were 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 were, were pressing it uh, even in, in in those desperate times in American history that that under the wings of Columbia, the oppressed of every land would find refuge. That 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 even at that time. Um, uh, it, it, it was it was core. It was part of our DNA that we would fight uh, for 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 the underdog, uh, for 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 every child of God, and that's something we're we're not we're never going to stop doing. You say that you wanted to make sure that um, Attorney General Sessions and Kelly and other people like that. You said your piece. Do you think that they heard you? Do you think that they processed it? Were there any changes that you saw on the other side of any of these meetings? Um. Uh, being frank and, and honest, we we um, we spent some time uh, and the attorney general, um, based on the conversations we had, there were several of us in the room, uh, directed his staff to 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 clarify some things and fix some things. Uh, the challenge that we have, uh, I believe, from the administration on this issue regarding immigration, first, is that the administration and the Congress has not determined that they're going to address comprehensive immigration reform. So you're talking specifically and, and, about and, the sanctuary oh, cities yeah, yeah. issue. And, and, and as a result yeah. of, of Congress not doing its job, we have, you have cities trying to interpret yeah. what the heck uh, immigration policy is. It's not what we would normally uh, be be doing. What we've asked the administration for, and we will continue to ask the administration for, is just constitutional clarity. Exactly. What, what, what do you what do you mean when you say sanctuary cities? I believe sanctuary cities is a political term. And and even in those meetings last year, we spent with the administration the definition we got from the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, the Attorney General, and the White House were three different definitions. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. When you guys had your meeting, uh, you have two annual meetings in January and in June. In January, you were in Washington, and uh, the morning that everybody arrived and was supposed to go to the White House, the leadership that um, the administration put out uh, subpoenas for uh, was it twenty two jurisdictions um, uh, about 
sanctuary cities and it caused a lot of consternation. I think it's the nicest way of putting it. Um, people were mad and you had Eric Garcetti from LA and Rahm Emanuel from Chicago saying that they were going to pay each other's bail money and making a little bit of a joke out of it. But it also led to everybody canceling the meeting that you were supposed to have with President Trump. Would you meet with President Trump? I've, I've met with President Trump. I've met with the president, met with him when he was president-elect. Uh, we took a delegation to meet with him, and and um, I was invited to the infrastructure conclave back in, in February and met with the president and had a chance to dialogue with him on infrastructure funding. And um, and, and I, I would be inclined to meet with the president on any issue. I mean, I, I think that's our responsibility uh, to always be willing to dialogue to solve problems. But he I mean, wanted to meet with you that afternoon. Uh, yeah, and you and, said no. Well, actually, uh, we had a previously scheduled commitment to discuss the Me Too movement uh, mm-hmm. with, with with our, our colleagues, our, 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 our women mayors, mm-hmm. uh, that um, I felt was a priority. I, I felt it was a priority what was going on in America right now. Mm-hmm. I was not going to uh, cancel on that commitment. However, when the, when the president actually uh, and the attorney general uh, issued their subpoenas, I was literally meeting with White House senior staff at that, that time in the Eisenhower building. So, so, so. And what uh, did they say to you when you saw that email? Come uh, no, no, no one said a word. <laughs> so no one said a word. I'm actually I'm not even sure that, that many of them knew about it. Yeah. Uh, our, our job is to is to be focused on on, on our priorities, be steady. We're going to focus on infrastructure. We're going to focus on innovation. We're going to focus on inclusion. And if we respond to every tweet every provocation, uh, then we'll never get the work done. Sure, uh, but you have specific things but, that but you're we, fighting them we, on, we will, right? We will, yeah, we will, but, but as we will always be willing to dialogue. I, I think, I think that's the only way you can ever solve problems. And hopefully, you know, when we're, when we're, when we're, when we're talking, we're, we're dealing with an honest broker. Do you think that you have an honest broker? Honestly, some days I'm not sure what we're dealing. We're obviously dealing on multifaceted fronts. We're dealing with the administration. We're dealing with Congress and, um, uh, we're dealing with, public and private sector partners, I believe that we've been able to cover some significant gaps and get some things done at home uh, against some significant headwinds because we're always willing to dialogue and and, and we're always want to be transparent and, and, and be honest. That's all we can do. And if, in fact, we're able to move the ball downfield together, we will. If we're able to build consensus together and work on some things, we will. And if we disagree, then we'll fight. I mean, I mean, and, that, but and that's, do you think you have an honest broker in President Trump? Um, I'm willing to work with the president on anything. Uh, and um, he, <laughs> he's, he's, yes. he's the president. Of, he's, he's the president of the United States of America. Do you think you, you said in your inaugural speech, you were talking about infrastructure, which is a big thing for sure. cities um, and which we're now a year and a half into the Trump presidency. It was the very first thing we were told they were going to do after the election. And it was uh, it was supposed to be the first thing that they actually did. And we've yet to see any kind of a real plan on infrastructure. And you had a line where you said, uh, it's not really a complicated line. We need a partner in Washington, D.C. Sure. Do you uh, have a partner in Washington, well, D.C.? Well, I'll tell you this. The very first meeting we had with um, President Trump, since you asked me a direct question about the president, um, in December of 2016, we met with the president. And, in Trump and, Tower, you and came Trump, up. In, yep. Trump, in Trump Tower, uh, the issue that I dialogued with him, I asked him for a commitment to protect the tax exemption of municipal bonds, mm-hmm. the way we that cities and states um, have built 75% of all American infrastructure today, almost $4 trillion market. He gave me his commitment that he would protect the tax exemption of many bonds, and he's not wavered on that. So so he's, he's, he's delivered on that. What we do need, however— 
uh, to address this nearly uh, probably over five trillion dollar deficit in transportation. So we need a partner. We need we need we need we need we need the you federal don't have government. The partner. We do not. No, we need the federal government to step up. Uh, I mean, in the, I say that being very f- frank on on water and sewer in, investment in this country in 2016. Over 98% of all water sewer infrastructure was built by state and local governments. And the other 2% that came from the federal government came in the form of loans. So, so, so they're not there. And we need the federal government there in a much more meaningful and robust way to make sure that we have 21st century infrastructure. So the president, and I thanked him at that infrastructure meeting, told me he kept his promise and we appreciate it. And we want to be at the table to help really grow this partnership in a meaningful way. I think one of the things that struck me when Trump was running and then when he was elected, among other things, is he is the first president to live his entire life in a city, right? He he never, except for Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster, where he does the weekends, he's lived in Queens or Manhattan his entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Penn for, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years, right? But... He is not someone that I think most people would associate with an urban agenda, mm-hmm. right? The stuff that you fought him over, uh, the Conference of Mayors has fought him over, uh, the Obamacare uh, repeal, and not just because you're Democrats or whatever, but looking specifically at what it would do to mm-hmm. healthcare in cities, uh, the sanctuary cities uh, policy and immigration overall. The census change, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the, the list goes on, right? There's so many things that uh, that have been issues, and then in the tax bill in mm-hmm. December, uh, yes, you got the protection that you're talking about about the bonds, but the state and local uh, taxes that exemption disappeared. Does Donald Trump care about the city? What what affects people who live in cities in America? Uh, um, I don't know um, exactly what the president cares or doesn't care about. I do know. Does he that act I like do, he cares? Well I, well, I know that the policy agenda, if you look at the president's budget from last year and some of the issues that he's advanced, um, I don't feel that they speak to the needs of American citizens, not not uh, on, on the whole, but certainly not to the very special needs of American cities that are driving mm-hmm. um, our, our, our economy as we as we speak. Uh, this focus on uh, by the U.S. Conference of Mayors on inclusion uh, also means that we're going to have to make sure that that we're meeting the needs of, of some of our smaller cities and towns all across the country. And what does that mean? You say inclusion. Well, That's part uh, well, of your agenda. Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, inclusion means that uh, inclusion is the next step past diversity. That we respect <laughs> that respect the fact that that we that we all come from different backgrounds, races, creeds, colors, religions, but that the needs that might face families in cold country. Or, or 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 economies that we're trying to revive in the, along in the Rust Belt, uh, they, they may be unique needs, and and we have to make sure that as we develop our policies and our, and our priorities, that we have everyone around the table, and we're trying to speak to those needs. And, and that's and not that, your job as the conference of mayors, uh, president. Is, that, that, that's 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 my job as a leader in the United States of America. And, that and, may and be that, right, oh, but like your job absolutely. is to push absolutely. for what will help cities, that's, right? Absolutely, and yeah. absolutely, and, and cities and towns and Americans. Yeah. I mean, the the reality is that again, I mentioned eighty five percent of our cities. Citizens now live in cities and metro economies, and if we're going to grow, then we have to grow together. We got to make sure that we speak into the, the, the not just the the needs, the fiscal and financial needs of, of everyone. Now we're addressing uh, job security, income volatility, but we're also speaking to people's humanity, and that and that's what this discussion around around inclusion is about. But do you think that 
what the president has done in all of these moves has has hurt cities? Cities are downright resilient. I, I do believe that there are some opportunities lost that if we were working closer together uh, in, in, in purely an objective terms, I'm not talking about um, uh, my, my, my worldview. I'm talking about using data in thoughtful ways sure. to try and to help create jobs, help uh, stop flooding, help stop wet weather events. I mean, if, if, if we were working together, uh, we could we could significantly every billion dollars we spend creates 15,000 jobs. If they go a, forward with this change in the census to yeah. um, have the citizenship it's question, the, the issue there, the reason why cities are upset about it is because it would probably lead to undercounting cities because you'd have uh, I think I think no I honestly honestly I, I think the concern is deeper than that Isaac I think the concern is deeper because not funding the census also doesn't fund the census in rural areas right. in the Rust Belt and Appalachia but it seems places, like it'll hit the uh, cities more right I, I, and that's and then there's this question of whether you guys will get as much I, I, funding I, I, as you I, need I, right I I I dis, I disagree I I believe that the that the the role of the census, not just in this, the dispensation of, of federal funds, which I might add is actually our money as well. Our mm-hmm. citizens pay this money every uh, April 15th and send it to Washington. We want to repatriate it back home. So this is not federal money. The, right. the U.S. doesn't mint uh, dollars out of, out of thin air. But the just the idea, the ideal that is America, that we will count Every single body here, and I want to go back to the three fifths compromise. But 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 this idea that every is that person what this is? No, I think I think it goes to the humanity. I think it goes to exactly uh, if in fact we're we are the wealthiest, most powerful democratic nation in the history of the world. This federal republic uh, is designed to provide dignity, to give meaning and, and purpose to natural rights and God-given rights. I, I, I do believe, I think this is this is a more of a moral battle. When I say to you, is, is it a question of the president uh, having essentially an anti-urban agenda? To you, it's not, it's a bigger question of whether it's a moral or an amoral agenda. Yeah, it's- And it's, not it's, just about the census. It's, 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 it's uh, we're going to do the right thing for America. And we believe that that, that when, though we see- at times, then calcitrant Congress and 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 different things emoting or emitting from uh, uh, sixteen hundred Pennsylvania, and it's happening at state level as well. All those debates, they can have those debates. Democratic, Republican, independent mayors are going to keep getting the job done. We're going to keep working, and yeah. we're going to keep looking straight ahead, and we're going to speak again to the better angels of of, of our republic. You uh, you banned bump stocks in Columbia. We did. You're the first city to do that. We were, we were in the heart of the American South. Yeah, how'd that happen? Um, we decided that um, if you look at some pretty amazing polling, some that um, our friend Frank Luntz even even shares Republican poster. A Republican poster. It shows that on, on on several different fronts that Democrats, Republicans, and even NRA members, uh, all at very high numbers. They're things that that we agree on, but for some reason we've allowed. Um, uh, uh, some well-meaning citizens uh, at the periphery, mm-hmm. the very far left or far right, to drive the gun debate. And you think I, they're I all well-meaning? A lot, a lot of them are. A lot, a lot of them are. Some, some not so much. Uh, but a lot of them are. I uh, just feel very passionate about about their their respective positions. I thought it was important that we should be able to show in, in a state, um, uh, a, a, a arguably red state. Uh, where Second Amendment rights are are are, are strong and pop, popular. I am a gun owner. I'm, I ran the second largest law enforcement agency in that state. I, I, I How own, many guns do you own? I own four. 
on four firearms. Uh, the um, uh, once held a concealed um, weapons permit. On my council, everyone but one of my uh, council people are, are gun owners, and uh, the uh, one of them owns 30 firearms. We just thought it was important that we step up and show that well-meaning people, Democrats and Republicans, could lead on, on building some type of reasonable consensus around something that everyone, including our law enforcement community, thought just made sense, that these things ought not be on the streets of the United States of America. And we voted unanimously uh, to, to, to make it happen. And, um, and we're, and we're going to spend a little more time actually doing some more policymaking in that space because it, uh, we got a call from Leary and Gaylord in, in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and in some other cities uh, asking for our, our, our policies. And we're going to keep on uh, moving uh, the ball downfield. You, uh, it's an election in South Carolina this year for governor. Um, do you see political changes coming in South Carolina? It's a state that has been reliably Republican as a as a, as a whole. Um, uh, been Democratic governors, Jim Hodges, who you worked for, uh, but it's a rarity. Um, Fritz Hollings has not been in the Senate for a very long time at this point. Sure. Um, is is South Carolina changing? Sure. Um, I believe it's changing and changing rapidly. I mean, we're watching. Is it becoming um, a democratic or changing uh, think, in other I think, ways? I think, I think we're, we're trending purple. I mean, you look, look at the at the fifth, con, fifth congressional district race, uh, just uh, special election last year. Um, yeah, somebody said to me that the crazy thing is that not only in that race, but in that district now, but in every House race in South Carolina, there's a competitive primary. Oh, yeah. uh, absolutely. A Democratic uh, abs- primary. Oh, yeah, race. absolutely. Um, but, but last year and then now again this year, Archie Parnell's con- competing in that race and, and just about won it while everyone else was focused on, on, on Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, I'm, I'm supporting James Smith. He's a, he's a, a Democratic candidate for, for governor and a longtime mm-hmm. friend. And I believe that if, if James state wins, if, if state legislator, if James wins the primary, which I believe he will, um, I mean, it's Bronze Star, couple Purple Hearts, um, smart, thoughtful, uh, progressive policymaker. I, I believe we can take uh, this thing. And, and but we have two other uh, you know, really thoughtful candidates for for the Democratic nomination as well. I, I, I would I would I would encourage uh, people, encourage smart money, not to write off South Carolina. We, we, we got this cycle and the next cycle. I think it'll be good, good years for the for the Democratic well, and, Party. And and presidential wise, you don't think that it's a state that. Uh uh, you I mean, know, it'll be really important uh, in the Democratic primary uh, process. I'm not uh, sure it'll uh, be there in the general I would, election. I would, say, I would say dig deep into the data that mm-hmm. obviously um, across the country, presidential years bring out more people uh, than than uh, our gubernatorial cycle, which is every two years after that. But but um, uh, go back and look at, at, at President Obama's numbers uh, versus even, I mean, a very popular governor uh, like my friend Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, uh Typical that she had more people voting for Barack Obama in South Carolina than he did for Nikki Haley. I mean, so the numbers are there. Uh, whether or not you have the ability to to inspire people to come out in what's a non-presidential year, right. and also what's happening in national politics, uh, I, we you could you could easily elect um, uh, uh, people on both sides of the aisle. We're 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 we're, we're fiercely independent in South Carolina. We split <laughs> tickets. We split tickets. I split tickets before. You know, we split you tickets. You voted for Republicans? Oh, yeah, I have. Which I have. Republicans do you vote That's for? That's none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have. Um, so I think it's it's important that that, that party affiliation um, uh, doesn't need to drive the way we vote. You, you, vote, you vote your conscience. You vote for the best person for the job. We're a year and a half in. We still haven't seen an infrastructure plan in any kind of specificity. Are we going to get one? Uh, you know, we, we spent some time with, with Congressman Schuster and he's been working with Cong- um, some of his colleagues on the other side of the aisle on on the possibility of doing something in the lame duck, 
we're going to continue to advance. Sounds we're, like a long way of saying we're no. Gonna, we're we're going to continue. To, <laughs> we're going to continue to advance that possibility. Uh, maybe a hail mary at this point. I think. I think the tax reform um, took a, a lot of wind out of people's yeah. sails. Um, um, but again, you know, our, our job is, to, is is regardless if the glasses half full, half empty, to keep working um, on behalf of folks. Let so me we close with this: um, You are in an unusual situation that your wife is a judge. She ran <laughs> first year that you were. What is that like when you have another? Uh, and she she did not uh, run for the the job she currently has as judge, but uh, she was a candidate back in 2010 when you were running for mayor. Um, what's that like having another politician in the house? I can't get the word in, man. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it, it's it's amazing to have a partner and a, and a helpmate who uh, who is frankly smarter than I am. <laughs> uh, has a deep well of of, of empathy. Who's an um, who's an awesome mother and incredible sounding board. It helps. It, it really helps me a lot. I mean, I, I, I tell people that the, the only way I can be a great mayor is, is I, I got to make sure I maintain my, 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 my spiritual sanity. Yeah. I got to be a good husband and a father. And, and then it gives me, it liberates me to do all the things I want to do on behalf of the people of Columbia. Is it tricky that you're a mayor, you're a politician, she is a judge, she has to be apolitical? I, I, oh, no. <laughs> well, she, well, she's allowed to help me on some things. But I will tell you, uh, Isaac, my closing, my closing statement <laughs> that when I come home completely frustrated about whatever politician I had to deal with or a member of council and, uh, and, I, and I, I begin to rant to her about what happened that day and she says, well, you know, I had, I had a double homicide uh, today. <laughs> It kind of takes some wind out of my sails, man. I'm like, okay, you 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 win rock 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 beat scissors, and I I, I go I go to the room and, and start reading something else. So uh, no, she's she's a super partner, and um, uh, and she's a honestly she's an incredible role model for our daughters. All right, Mayor Steve Benjamin, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, man. What's your take? Do you think he's right about the divisions between cities and the rest of the country? What about what's happening with race? Email me your thoughts at isaacapolitico.com. I still can't get over canceling an election or an election with no opposition. Maybe that's just me. Thanks as always to Zach Stanton for producing. Remember, coming up, we've got former President Jimmy Carter, Tom Steyer, and many more. So hit that button and subscribe and tell a friend and catch you next time on Off Message.